All right, you believe that tonight? Much to be thankful for? Praise God for that. Great, uh, great encouragement in song. And I uh, hope, hope that you have been just uh, practicing your gratitude. You know, it's one of those things that can, can, uh, can at times go missing in the Christian's life, and yet that's part of God's will for us, is that we would just give Him thanks. And so a good song, a great, uh, great, uh, great way to just uh, get into the message this evening. And let's turn our Bibles to 1 Timothy as we continue our series on authentic church. And we're going to move on here in, um, in our chapter. And let's begin reading in verse 5. We'll, we'll read down to verse 11. And the Bible says, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart, and of good conscience, and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. And so, as you see there in your Bible, this verse um, ends there, but then it, it picks up on, on what he starts to dialogue there in verse 7, desiring to be teachers of the law. And so in verse 8, he says, But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And so he goes and, and really he lists out some things here about uh, that, that the Lord deals with. And you understand the context of our, of our passage here, the the, there were those that had come in who, again, were, were, uh, were going into the, the law, the, the scriptures of the day, the Old Testament, and were, were putting forth things that were, uh, were engendering questions, things that were, were, um, were uh, picked out as far as uh, fables and endless genealogies. And, and really what it was, was they were misusing the scriptures. They were misusing, and here in particular, we're going to see the law, which was really the, the, a big part of the Old Testament. And so here as we, we start to, to, um, to just go down in, in these verses, the law referred to here is the Old Testament law given to the Jews through Moses. And it is possible that the, the false teachers were teaching the law without understanding here as we noted in verse 7. But Paul got this indication because they were saying what they were saying didn't match the content of Scripture. So in verses 8 to 11 then, uh, to dispel the, 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 the eroding perhaps of confidence on the law. And that's what happens when you, when, you, when you don't teach Scripture the way you ought to teach it. What you're, you're also doing is you're eroding confidence in it. And so he's, he's got to clarify here, in verse 8, but we know that the law is good. 
So he's saying that those, those scriptures that, that you have, the Old Testament, it's good. But he makes this clarification if a man use it lawfully or properly. And so it's important for us then as we, we think about this, we know that we now have the, the, the complete canon of scripture, right? Is that correct tonight? So, so we have in all in its entirety the, the 66 books of the Bible, which consists of two testaments, the New Testament, but also the Old Testament. And so it's pertinent for us tonight, as we think about the, 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 the Scripture as a whole, for us to understand the purpose of the law again. To, to go there again and to, to clarify, just like the Apostle Paul is, uh, is gonna, about to clarify with the people in the day, so that we, we, don't, um, we don't mistreat the law. We don't mistreat the, the, old, uh, the old Testament that was, that was written for our, uh, for our learning. And we need to understand it properly because it is good, but it's got to be used properly, lawfully. So, so in verses 8 to 11, Paul instructs on the purpose of the law in the context of the New Testament church of which we are one. And so Paul affirms, again, the, the law is good if used lawfully or correctly. And again, this contrasts with the wrong usage of it by the false teachers who elaborated on myths and questions engendering from it. In verses 9 and 10, we see here, he says, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the, and he goes on and lists them, so Paul gives us a long list of who the law is for and gives us one for who the law is not for. And firstly, he starts off there in verse 10, uh, sorry, in verse 9, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. And so before we get into that, let's pray. We'll ask the Lord to bless as we, as we study tonight. Father, thank you, dear God, for the time that we've had through the day to be able to open your word. And Father, we, we, we approach it with great great privilege, but certainly Lord, with great responsibility, with great trembling, knowing, dear God, uh, that, that we, ought to, we ought to treat it with great respect and honor. And Lord, I do pray that you would please help us tonight as we, as we get into this subject matter. I pray that you'd help us to, to see your, your intention, Lord, for keeping and preserving uh, the law and, and showing it to us, dear God. And I pray that you'd help us this evening to just keep our minds focused on the, on the scriptures. Uh, help us, Lord, by, by your spirit to be guided unto all truth. And I pray that you'd help us, Lord, glorify you in, in all these things. In Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. So notice, firstly, the intention of the law to the righteous man. And, and it, when it comes down to it, every man is, is unrighteous. We are all sinners, right? We're all sinners. But, but there is... There is uh, there are those that, that the Bible describes now as righteous. Notice that knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. And really a righteous man is really a sinner that has salvation. A sinner that has salvation. Okay? He made it clear that the law is not for the righteous man. And I'll explain that as we go along. See, a righteous man is one who has been made righteous by the blood of Christ. All right, in Romans 5.19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one, Jesus Christ, one, uh, of one shall many be made righteous. 
So tonight, if you're saved here tonight, if there was ever a time where you accepted Jesus Christ to be your Savior, God no longer sees you as unrighteous. No, He sees you as righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. We rejoice in that, amen? And we are no longer under condemnation in Christ Jesus. And so, so because of that, we've been made righteous. In Matthew 5.17, he makes it clear though. He says, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. That's why we're not the kind of church that, that just looks at the New Testament. No, no, there's prophet in the Old Testament. Okay, even the Lord Jesus Christ, He verified that. He came not to destroy the law or the prophets. But notice this, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And so the, the passing on of the law and, and the righteousness that has been imputed on us is very much in connection and independence to the, to the righteousness of Christ in the fulfillment of the law. We know that the Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus uh, sinned not in his, uh, in, uh, in his time here on earth. He had no sin. And, and Jesus was not here to, to, to demonstrate, a, uh, sorry, uh, to destroy the law. No, he came to fulfill it and thereby be a righteous sacrifice for us, and thereby we are made righteous through him. Does that make sense? And, and so Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the law, was able to impute his righteousness upon us. Therefore, the righteous man, if you follow that train of thought, is not, no longer tasked to fulfill the law. All right, the, the law became something that a righteous man lived through, through the power of Christ. So look at Romans chapter 8. Look at Romans chapter 8. We'll turn to a few different portions of Scripture tonight. Romans chapter 8. And uh, I, I alluded to this earlier. There is therefore, in verse 1, Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And notice this, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And so we understand that, that uh, once we're saved, we're no longer going down the, the course that the world is going, going down the, the, the way of the flesh. Now, now we're going uh, by the Spirit and walking after the Spirit. In verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. And so when we're speaking about the Old Testament law, the, the law that he is referring to that does not, is not intended, is not purposed for the righteous man, that was the, the law of sin and death. Why? Because really the law was given to condemn. The law was given to show us our guilt. The law was given to show us that we can never fulfill the standard of God for holiness. And so for, 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 it says in verse 3, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So, so what that's saying is now, now that we've been translated from the law of, the, of, 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 of sin and death to now being under the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, we now are, are no longer under the bondage of that law, 
but we are in, in, our, in our new nature able to please God as, as, as He has imputed righteousness upon us. All right, in 2 Corinthians 3, 3, For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. And what he's saying here is that we no longer have to strive to obey the law. No, no, it's now, it's now, it's now our nature to please Him. It's now, it's now grafted in us to, to now want to obey Him in love because of the righteousness that He's given us. And so the law was not made for righteous men. So if you're saved here tonight, the law was not given so that you can strive for it. The, the law is there to show us something, and, and we're going to see this in a little bit. And, and, and really, secondly, to the contrast of that, the intention of the law really was to an unbeliever who is a sinner without salvation, someone who is unrighteous. Go back there to, to 1 Timothy again. 1 Timothy verse 9, Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with, uh, with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. So, so really the intention of the law is not for righteous man, but for the rest of the list and for for the, for the sake of, of just uh, abbreviation there, it's the unbeliever or the unrighteous. All right, we're going to go into this list in a bit, but really the law was made for those who are contrary to it. That was what the law was made for. The law was given for us to know sin, to know it, to, to see the transgression of the law. Look at Galatians 3. Galatians 3. Turn to Galatians chapter 3, and, and here the Bible makes it clear for us God's intention for the law towards the unrighteous, the unbeliever. And so he says here in, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, it says, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. So he's saying, uh, what is the purpose or what, what, does, what, what service does the law provide? And he's saying there it was added because of transgressions. And what he's saying is he's given it to show the sinfulness of man. And then he says in verse 20, Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life. And this is in, in, in rhetoric. He's really asking a rhetorical question. If. The answer really is obvious. There wasn't a law given for that. Okay. That could have given life. Verily righteousness then should have been by the law. He, he's saying if the law was for life, then yeah. You're gonna, you can achieve righteousness through the law. Then he says, but the scripture hath concluded all under sin for all have sinned 
and come short of the glory of God. All right, there is none righteous, no, not one. We're all guilty. He's saying there, uh, all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But But before faith came, we were kept under the law. Shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. And you understand that, that those, uh, those, those, Old Test- those in the Old Testament, they, they didn't understand. They didn't, uh, it was a mystery, the, the reason for Jesus' uh, coming. And then they go on, he goes on, notice verse 24. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. And what he was saying is, is that the, the, the law was given as a schoolmaster. That's a, that's a teacher. Someone who reveals. Someone who, who instructs. And he, the law was made to be a teacher. And in three ways to teach man of his sinful state. You see, when you go through the gospel with someone, it's, it is the case where you must show them their need of a Savior first. You must show them that they are guilty according to God's perfect standard. You must show them that not according to any uh, uh, some uh, sort of other standard, but in God's absolute perfect standard, they are guilty under the law. And so he's saying here that the schoolmaster is there to instruct, instruct man of his sinful state. And really also to teach man of his inability to fulfill the law. Have you ever read through all of the law? We're going to look at it in a bit, in summarized form. We call that the Ten Commandments. But even the Ten Commandments, even if we boiled it down to the summarized version, we cannot keep even ten. Ten. We can't keep it. Even, even in summarized form, we can't keep it. And so it, the, the, he's a schoolmaster, the law is a schoolmaster to teach us of our inability to fulfill the law. And by the way, if we offend in one point, we're guilty of all, all. And, and so the law was given as a schoolmaster, but then also to, to not only to show us our inability to fulfill the law, but also to show us to Christ, the one who fulfilled it. The one who was the, the, the perfect sacrifice, the, the perfect Son of God. And there we see in verse 24, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. You see, when man acknowledges and sees his total inability and his total guilt, then he must, he must, he must look to a Savior. When he understands that he cannot save himself, that he cannot get to God by any other means, then he must go through the one, the only way, the Lord Jesus Christ. And tonight, if you're saved and you're righteous, that's the only way. All of us here came through Jesus Christ. None of us here inherited salvation. None of us here through family bonds. No, listen. Listen. You had to come to a point 
where you realize you needed Jesus Christ to save you. And all of us here are, the, are like that. All of us here. And so, he's saying that the, this, the, the law, the intention of the law for an unbeliever, it wasn't for the righteous, it was actually for those who were unrighteous. It, it was to point to their, their guilt, their inability, but also it was to point them to the one who fulfilled the law, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the intent of the law was, was for the sinners to come to Christ. And again, if you're saved under the blood of Christ, you are no longer under the bondage of law. All right, you now have the law in your heart through the spirit of the, of the, of the, the law of Christ. And so, so we see that. And, and go back to 1 Timothy here. We're going to quickly go through this, um, go through this list. And uh, if we can, if you have that on the, on the screen, uh, you, know, you know, if you, you look through, um, you see in Exodus chapter 20, the, the Ten Commandments summarized over there. I'll just show you that on the screen uh, by way of, of uh, remembering. But here he's going to give a comprehensive list of those whom the law does affect. So, so the, it's not for the righteous. Okay, that's, that's, you've already been, the, the law, you're no longer under bondage of, of, of the law of sin and death. Christ already fulfilled that for you. But there are those, and here's, he's going to list those uh, here for us to whom the law does affect. And, and look at Romans chapter 7, and, and then we'll come back to, sorry, in First Timothy. But go to Romans chapter 7. In verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. You see, man needs to even be taught and shown that his condition is sinful. See, every man thinks he's right in his own eyes. And so God said that, that he had, uh, here he's showing, the Apostle Paul, that he had not known lust except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. He recognized his true condition, that, that he was dead in trespasses and sins. And verse and the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. And so, so here again, reaffirming for us now the 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 condition and and really the 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 actual um, the, the actual condition of man and the law revealing that. And here Paul furthers that with this list. Go back to First Timothy again. In verse nine, notice what he says: "But for the lawless and disobedient." So this, this in verse 9, it really is a general statement that, that speaks about those who are contrary to the law. That the law has proven, uh, the law has proven to, be, uh, to, be, uh, to have fallen short. They're lawless and disobedient. Someone who's lawless is, is simply defined as not subject to the law. They're, they're contrary to law. But notice he says lawless there. Lawless and disobedient, and, and disobedient is this, neglecting or refusing to obey. Omitting to do what is commanded or doing what is prohibited. And even man, 
You understand? When he, when he sees the law of God, still sins. You know why? Because man in his very nature is a sinner. And so he is lawless and disobedient. And again, the law was given for those who refused to recognize God's authority and refused to obey His commands. And within the law, we not only see the authority of God, but the judgment and justice of God. And so again, he's saying, firstly, it applies to the lawless and disobedient. It's a general statement, and it covers all. And then as the list goes, it becomes more specific. All right, um, the, the next part here starts a list of sins against God Himself. And if you notice there in, in, our, in the Ten Commandments, really the, the first three there pertain to our relationship with God. All right, now, n- number four, remember the Sabbath day, you're going to note as we go through, it is not covered. All right, you, you understand specifically the Sabbath was given for a sign to who? The Jews. Okay, we're dealing with New Testament church here. Different people, okay? The, the church isn't new Israel, all right? It doesn't pertain to, to us. So he skips, he skips, remember the Sabbath day. And, and here he's just going to cover the first three in regard to our, our relationship with God. And he, notice the next few, he says, he says, the lawless and disobedient for the, um, for the ungodly uh, and sinners, and so ungodly is this, men and women who have no regard for God. And so when you look at the first three, it's all about how we, how we, how we honor God, how, how our relationship is to be toward Him. And so he's saying there are those, firstly, ungodly. Men and women who have no regard, no honor for God. And then he says sinners, and that's men and women who live in opposition to God. And, and, and we are all sinners. And here the law is used really to show mankind's wicked and evil heart to God. I'm, I'm sorry. But the reality is that. We can't, we can't say that, that, that none of us is that. That is, the, that, is, that is our true condition without Christ. But then he goes on and he says, for unholy and profane. In verse 9 again, he says, for unholy and profane. And again, that pertains to these first three. Uh, holiness really is the, it's the hallmark tribute of God. It's His attribute that most exemplifies His nature. And here he's saying the law is made for the unholy and profane. Okay, unholy people are people whose lives are impure. Right, in, in light of God's holiness, we're impure. Profane means persons that treat the holy as common. There's nothing sacred, they say. And, and that's a profane person. So here the law is used to show the true condition of mankind. That he is unholy. That he is profane. And then we see here, he continues on. For unholy and profane, and then for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers. And here the next part of the list will deal specifically with those who break commandments in uh, commandments 5 to 9 of the Decalogue, okay, of the, the Ten Commandments. And really these are sins against others. 
and, and sins against others. And notice the first one here is murderers of fathers and mothers. And, and um, in, in the fifth command, he says, honor thy father and thy mother. And, you know, we, the, the, the Lord Jesus teaches us that if we're hateful to someone, it's like we have murdered them. And, and church, listen, uh, we live in a generation that are outright, not even, not even sort of hidden in it, but they're actually forthright in their disobedience and dishonor of mom and dad. And, and here we're saying that it's for them. Murderers of fathers and mothers. These are people who have no respect for or show hatred toward their parents. They despise mom and dad. And he's saying there, and that's, that's speaking specifically there in, in, in the, the fifth command of the Decalogue. We see in, again in verse 9 at the end there, for manslayers. Okay, these are, these are those who kill people deliberately. They're murderers in the physical sense. Manslayers. Uh, the, the, the sixth command, thou shalt not kill. Um, it, it's amazing, you know, if you talk to anyone who does uh, any sort of ministry in, um, in, in jails where there's, there's those kinds of crimes, very heinous crimes, there's a great opportunity there because they know their guilt. They understand. You know, when, when man takes another man's life, another person's life, there's a recognition of, of just the, the guilt of that. And, and yet here he's saying the law, the law, the purpose of it is to show even those who are manslayers, thou shalt not kill. Uh, verse, verse 10 now, he says, for whoremongers, and whoremongers is, uh, are those, these are people who are immoral to, uh, to the other gender, to the opposite sex. And here he sees in, in the next command, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's, that's, that's sin. He's showing that in the law. And he's saying the law is made for those who are adulterers. To show their guilt. To show their unrighteousness. Then the next, next one is this. It says, for them that defile themselves with mankind. And the Bible's very clear that homosexuality is a sin. It's a sin. It's not a lifestyle. It's a sin. All right, God, God looks at that and He says, it defiles themselves with mankind. These are people who are sexually deviant with people of the same gender. And isn't that an issue today? It's being normalized. And if we're not careful that becomes uh, something that, that our children become desensitized to. But we need to show in this time and through the law that this is, this is sin before God. This is sin. And, and when, you, when you think about the, the, um, the seventh commandment there, thou shalt not commit adultery. There, there's a, if you study that through, it's any kind of sexual deviancy. All right, and so again, it's covering that. Then we see men stealers, okay, in, in verse, um, verse 10 again, he says, 
that defile themselves with mankind for men stealers. These are kidnappers. They steal and sell other people. Okay, and here, thou shalt not steal. You ever thought about that? Uh, you ever, you ever thought, think about why stealing is so wrong? And we understand that that's pretty extreme. When you steal someone, you're a kidnapper. We, we understand even, even probably criminals look at that as bad. But, but you ever thought about thou shalt not steal? Why that is such an offense to a holy God? Because ultimately, he's the owner of everything. And when you steal, you're actually not just stealing from your neighbor. Ultimately, you're stealing from a holy God. And he's saying, thou shalt not steal. All right, men stealers, kidnappers. Okay, they steal and sell other people. And here's the next one. For liars. Okay, often if you're, you're in the habit of going through the gospel with someone, often you point them to that one. All right, they may not admit to the other ones, but they'll surely admit to the fact that they're all, all liars. And, and again, the, the next command, thou shalt not bear false witness. Okay, those who, who bear false witness, they're liars, they're dishonest. And then in verse 10, the last one here, he says, for perjured persons. And, and perjured persons are those who willingly tell an untruth or make re- misrepresentation. And again, that's bearing false witness. That's the ninth command. But, and then notice that, that verse 10, he, he stops there. He's going to deal with that specifically. Uh, sorry, not verse 10, the 10th commandment. Thou shalt not covet. He's going to deal with that specifically later on. But, but here, he's just trying to, uh, trying to show it's for the, all of those who break the law of God. The law was made to show your guilt. He covers all bases there. And then to top it all off, he says here, he says here, uh, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. And he's saying there anything contrary to sound doctrine. Here Paul concludes the list by including anything that would be contrary to sound doctrine, which really uh, encompasses the, the law and also the gospel of which he has been entrusted with according in verse 11, to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Okay, and, and sound doctrine here doesn't just describe correct or accurate doctrine, okay, but what is healthy and wholesome. And, and here you see ultimately that, that healthy teaching leads to proper Christian behavior. It leads to love and good works. And whilst the diseased teaching of the heretic leads to controversies, leads to arrogance, it leads to abusiveness, and it leads to strife. And in verse 11, Paul exhorts those, again, by his authority. He says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And in verse 11 is, is where we'll end. Paul exhorts those by authority that his teaching was according to the, the gospel of which he was entrusted with. Okay, he again re-emphasizes his authority as the one committed with the gospel. And so tonight, church, uh, we, we need to understand the, the place of the law. All right, we, we no longer have to strive to obey it. It's in us. We've been renewed in that. And we understand that, that, that God used that in the, um, to, to demonstrate his holiness and his authority. 
and if it's good, uh, if if we understand it and and properly and correctly use it, it's good. It's good. It, it shows us. You know what? At the very least, church, such were some of us. And it ought to humble us as we look through that. And the Lord Jesus fulfilled that. And we are no longer under that bondage. Not because we deserve it, but because we have a gracious God who fulfilled it for us. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you again, Lord, for the opportunity, uh, Lord, tonight, just to, just to go through and, and discuss the, the things of, of your word. Father, I pray that you'd help us. And, and thank you, dear Lord, once again, uh, that in your coming, Lord, you, you fulfilled the law, that you, you translated us from the, the law of sin and death uh, to the law of life in Christ Jesus. I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to, to be humbled by that, to understand that so much more ought we to live holy lives through you. I pray that our motive would be love, that, that our heart would be to please you, that, Lord, we'd not feel the, the guilt and bondage, Lord, of a law that was made to show, Lord, our need of you. So I pray that you'd help us uh, as we head into the week, Lord, to rejoice in you, to rejoice in, in, your, in the salvation you've given us. And we pray that you just be glorified in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. All right, let's